Hello and welcome to the show that considered plastic clappers to be offensive weapons long before Birmingham City fans jumped on the bandwagon. On today's show, 15 years after they were told that their existence was not in the wider interests of football, AFC Wimbledon are a League One side. We'll be reminiscing with someone who was there right at the start of it all, and he's still there in the boardroom now. As if life wasn't frustrating enough for Fulham, we sent Matt Stanger to the Little House of Cowards on Saturday and he took his own special brand of good fortune with him. We'll be talking to him later. And with us, Steve Evans. Well, Mansfield Town as it goes, we'll be having a look at them too. There's all the usual stuff from the exhilarating 80s-style thematic roundup music to the Fan League face-off and it's all on the Totally Football League Show. Hello, welcome. Thanks very much for coming. Matt Stanger, how are you? Very good, thank you, Ian. I love your shirt. What is that shirt? It's uh, Orlando Pirates. Very Reed's Monday, Al Magwan, secretary. <laughs> very much so. Um, we, we sent you to Fulham. We didn't send you too far away. So was your weekend a little better? We... Yeah, I didn't get lost this weekend, actually, well, for the first time. That's a start. Is it as lovely a walk to Fulham as everyone always says? I've never actually been there. Yeah, it's very quaint. It's a nice walk along the river and a lovely red brick main stand, wooden seats, all very civilised. We are also joined by Ivor Heller of AFC Wimbledon. I'm delighted to have you in the studio, Ivor. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very delighted to be here. That's exactly the attitude we like. Um, <laughs> Kelly Cates, who's often on our show, yep. um, she sends her love. Oh, I send it back in bundles, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly and I are good friends. Should we find out a little bit more about League One? Should we do the roundup? Yeah, let's. Ben, fire up the music. Shrewsbury's unbeaten run is over, but it took an incredible strike from Peterborough's Marcus Madison to bring them down. Catch it if you can on the wires. He spanks it with extreme prejudice from miles out. Peterborough needed that. There have been six games without a win. At the other end of the table, Plymouth made a great start, scoring inside the first 60 seconds of their game against Rochdale. They couldn't hold on, they drew one all and they remain at the bottom of the table. And it's not really happening for Portsmouth this season, is it? They lost 1-0 at home to third place Bradford. Three defeats on the bounce now. It's now five games without a win for MK Dons after they gifted Bristol Rovers the lead at the Memorial Stadium before Rory Gaffney sealed a 2-0 win with a smart finish. Well, it's four straight defeats for Bury, who sits second bottom. A 1-0 defeat to Doncaster was enough to bring an end to Lee Clark's reign with just three wins in 16 games this season. And Charlton versus Wimbledon was a game to forget. Well, unless you're doing a podcast looking at the Dons, with Ricky Holmes settling a tight encounter with a late free kick. Could Wigan take advantage of Shrewsbury's slip and snatch top spot? No, no they couldn't. They couldn't beat the 10-man Blackburn Rovers. Though there was a thoroughly deserved red card for Elliot Bennett there, wasn't there, Matt? No. (laughs) Farcical. Absolutely farcical. Gillingham are still looking for a new manager, but... (gasps) Maybe it's the caretaker all along. Another win for Steve Lovell. 3-1 away at Rotherham. And goodness me, what's that? It's an away win for Southend United. 1-0 at Walsall, only their second of the season. Fleetwood left it late against Oxford, scoring in the 88th and 90th minutes to win 2-0 and leapfrog the visitors. While Northampton made it back-to-back wins with a 1-0 victory over Blackpool, Sam Hoskins grabbing a decisive goal for Jimmy Floyd Hasbank's side. Richie Wellens suffered his first defeat as older manager, but the Latics put up a fight after going 2-0 down inside the first 10 minutes to Scunthorpe. They were back on level terms thanks to goals from Peter Clark and Craig Davies, but Dwayne Holmes' late finish gave Scunthorpe a 3-2 win. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. Right, 
ordinarily we'd be focusing on Wimbledon's most recent game, um, but given that Chelton's manager, uh, Carl Robinson, said, I watch every game back and even I'm not watching that one again, <laughs> um, Matt may be the only person in the world who's taken the time and effort to sit back and watch it, because once Carl Robinson said that, that was it, I was out. So we're going to focus far more on, on Wimbledon's history. Good. Um, <laughs> which is probably the most interesting of them all. I know that you guys... You start your role of honour from original Wimbledon. Yeah, 1889. And and run all the way from there. Um, just for the purposes of leaving enough room to talk about it all, I'm just going to start from 2002 uh, with this quote, which I partially used at the beginning. Resurrecting the club from its ashes as, say, Wimbledon Town is with respect to those supporters who would rather that happen so they could go back to the position the club started in 113 years ago. It's not in the wider interests of football. That was an independent football association commission uh, talking about you guys. How did that feel? You, you're a Wimbledon fan, you know, man it, and boy. It was the greatest catalyst that we could ever have had. I mean, they could not have said anything more that could fire us up than, than we were not in the wider interests of football. And, and it's stuck with us ever since. And, you know, one day I dare say someone's going to issue an apology about that particular line because I think it's, it's undeniable that we've been in the wider interests of football. We've proved actually once and for all that the real thing that really matters for, for football is the fans. You know, and, and football clubs that take their eyes off of that, they actually... Um, will suffer in the long run for doing so because eventually the the queues for season tickets, the the waiting lists are, are, are going to drift away because it's going to become so available. The reason for people going to football is going to be for their fan experience, and and people talk about fan experience like it's a commodity. It, it, it's not actually a commodity. It's what it's what you make it. It's what it's what you genuinely are. Um, I was at a, a conference recently where um, it, it was mentioned that the greatest fan engagement that anyone had ever seen there was, was actually at AFC Wimbledon. And I was like, wow, what are they talking about? I wasn't sure what they were talking about. It was just us being us. It was just the way we are. That's what we do every week. Um, so people trying to contrive fan experience, I think is part of the problem, to be honest with you. You have to be what you are. And what, and what you were, you were you had a print business. Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, and were watching Wimbledon, and your your print works became the kind of the home for the for the Phoenix. It, it, it did for a, a, a short while, yes, until it, until we kind of realised quite quickly that we were going to burst our banks at, at, in the airless little office, which was much smaller than this studio actually, <laughs> which had kind of three people working in it at least, sometimes four or five. And you know, when we put the appeal out on the, oh, it was just a couple of days after that that fateful decision on May the twenty eighth, two thousand and two, and we appealed for people to buy season tickets for a club that didn't exist, that didn't have a ground, that wasn't in a league. <laughs> that didn't have a player that had no kit no badge no nothing but if people invested in it as, as what would be a, a supporters own club we would get on and, and start that club uh, and we realised we were onto something when basically in, in less than a week we got £80,000 in I think this, this is extraordinary <laughs> as well because now that you've done it, the precedent is there, and we've seen it elsewhere um, yeah. around the country where people have, have followed that lead. And of course, with social media and the internet, it's it's far easier. But this was this was two thousand and two. Most people had AOL dial-ups. <laughs> you, you didn't have the internet on your phone. It wasn't that easy to rally people. So how did you do it? Well, I mean, thankfully, um, not everybody was in favour of that fateful FA decision. 
Um, and a lot of people were really riled about it. And even though, yeah, we think they tried to bury it at the start of the World Cup and so on, but um, there were enough people that were enraged, that enough news channels were enraged, and we had enough PR-savvy people around us to, to get it out to the wider media that, that we were going to start again. And very quickly, the media seized on that because there was just that little lull before the World Cup. And they were like, we need something interesting to talk about. So, you know, I remember being on Radio 5 Live and on Talk Sport and the likes of where they were turning around and saying, you're mental, you're mad. There's no way you're ever going to be able to start a football club as a bunch of fans. And we're like, well, we're not just we're not just football fans. We're we're all in business. Most of us run successful businesses or have decent positions in life. And therefore, uh, watch us do it and we will do it. And now, look, we've done it. <laughs> <laughs> and. It wasn't quite everybody, was it? Because there was a splinter group of Wimbledon fans who who insisted on driving around the M25 and up oh, to there, the place that were, shall not be named. There were, there were at least 30. <laughs> 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 we reckon that there were at least 30 that, 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 that made that trip, uh, and one or two that still do. Um, uh, uh, it was quite a it was a weird situation to be honest with you because it, it you know if you did hear that someone you knew was going up there it kind of felt like you knew a pariah you know it was really strange a very very strange thing but one thing even in those early days we tried not to focus on them you know uh, uh, that football club does not define us and it never ever will you know we are Wimbledon and we're proud of it and and that's what defines us not them being the franchise that they are. Now, in the first season, you were in the Combined Counties League Premier Division. We were indeed, yes. We got elected into that, and that, that was a, a funny night on its own, just being elected into that. Um, it was a wonderful experience, and we were welcomed by, by more or less everybody because uh, the average crowd in the Combined Counties League the season before we were in it was somewhere around 30 to 50. <laughs> they weren't too sure because they often passed the bucket around to to get the entrance fees. And how many did you bring? Because your first game was away from home, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was at Sandhurst Town. Uh, they had their, their club record crowd there that day of 2,500. <laughs> <laughs> With some interesting seating. Yeah, uh, well, no, no, no there, there was no seating. There was standing on hay bales. Uh, <laughs> and even on the hay bales, I couldn't see a blooming thing. And that, that, that was really frustrating. So I had to burrow my way to the front and you know uh, that wasn't too difficult because everyone could see over me it it was uh it was an amazing it's a red hot day um and and very very much they made the best of it sandhurst they really did everything fantastically well we'll be forever grateful to them um they put on bars on the green nearby that people, you know, I got a phone call from a, a, a friend of mine, a really good friend, who, who said to me, oh, isn't it great? You know, our first game, competitive game as AFC Wimbledon. It's going to be amazing. And, I, and and there were people, I could hear people in the background. I said, oh, are you in the pub already? He said, no, I'm not in the pub. I'm in Sanders. <laughs> you know, we're on the green and there's loads of us here and, um, and we're having a really, and they were so drunk. It was just, it was fantastically uh, alcohol fueled, but very emotional day. Um, that was 2002-2003, your first season in the Combined yeah. Counties League Premier Division. <laughs> you won that title in 2004, then into the Isthmian League Division 1 in 2005. The Isthmian Premier Division took a bit longer, it did. Um, but you went up in the playoffs in 2008, then straight up as champions of the Conference South in 2009. Um, after only one season of consolidation in what I still like to call the Vauxhall Conference, <laughs> and then bang, up into the Football League through the playoffs in 2011. It only took nine years. Nine years. Nine from years. the very, very bottom. It only took nine years. That's the song. <laughs> <laughs> How did you do? Uh, like, what, what 
can't because okay. all you had basically was more yeah more fans than ever. You had three thousand odd fans, yeah. maybe four thousand odd fans, but. There's a lot more to it than that. You can't just there do it is. all on that. I think there, there are a couple of really, um, you know, sometimes things just line up and fall into place for people. And it happens in business, in life, in all sorts of things where you kind of go on a good run. Um, you know, Blackburn went on a good run, didn't they? You know, think the, the stars aligned and everything fell into place. The the, the, the money came, the players came, the, the infrastructure came uh, and you went on, you won the Premier League, you had a fantastic time and so on. And the same thing happened you know, with, with us, the stars aligned. There was uh, an owner of uh, Kingstonian Football Club, um, a gentleman by the name of Rajesh Kosler, who was a hugely important person in our history. Because he didn't mind five teams playing at that ground. <laughs> he clearly was not a football man. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Mr. Coslow. I'm probably the only Wimbledon fan that does. Because without him, we wouldn't be in this position. Um, he did a ground share deal with us that, that was slightly potty. Um, and then he con continued to exploit us. For the first season, um, I, I don't really blame him for doing that, but he did exploit us to the point where some people were very upset with him. But the the most important thing for us was that that we could play on his liking of one thing, money, <laughs> <laughs> and we put an offer in to him to buy the ground, uh, without really knowing how we were going to finance it because it was a two point four million deal, um, which was quite a big deal for a club in the combined counties league you see <laughs> um, average crowd of 30 before we got in it you know it was quite uh, it was quite incredible but but you know he saw the, the pound notes we did a, a share issue became a plc um a not-for-profit plc so we told everyone they were mad for buying our shares but people <laughs> still bought them you know to the tune of about one and a quarter million um and and then mr cosler very kindly gave us a, a mortgage his own mortgage, uh, slightly above the rate, but you know we couldn't get it because we were a new business. So, so he did that. We serviced it very easily, but that was the key: buying that ground, enabling us to to get our own revenue. Because whilst many parts of the ground weren't and still aren't fit for purpose, um, it gave us revenue and revenue streams and and not having to pay out all the time in rent with nothing coming in so that was what established us so that gave us the money gave us a, a, a we could build up a war chest which we did very nicely uh, and then when we got to conference south all of a sudden we found ourselves with a oh we've got a good team uh, and terry brown and their manager did a fantastic job gelled these guys together and up we went um then we were part-time in in the conference Part-time in the conference is incredibly difficult. But Terry managed to, to get us to... The, we finished eighth in our first season in, in the conference, um, which was really some achievement with a part-time team. You know, we were up against teams with quite big budgets at the time. And, you know, it, 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 was, a, it was a tremendous buzz to play Luton and York and clubs like that. We were, we were loving it. But then Terry came to us, and this is also a key moment in our history, and said, we've got to go full-time. And we're like, e we're not ready to go full time. We, we, we've only just started the club. How can we go full time? And he said, well, you can't afford not to. I, and put a business case together. And, and we went full time. And that was the making of us. How much of a difference does that make to your finances going from part time to full time? Well, you, you, you automatically, as someone that, that possibly doesn't control football budgets, think it's going to cost you a lot more. But in point of fact, it doesn't. 
it, 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 it costs you more or less the same, maybe maybe a tad more, but it gives you much more control. It gives you a much wider choice of players. Better players wanted to come and play for us because they could get full-time football and possibly enhance their careers by playing full-time and getting what they wanted from a club. So, yeah, we, we, we signed two players that season, which we said, we've only got the money to sign one more player. And they were both good players. We wanted to sign both of them. So we said, well, let's put the deal to them and see what they say. We did, and we got two for one. And they were both <laughs> great players that played a massive part in the future of the club. Did you have a kind of schedule there? Like, get up then 15, get up in 20, or was it just... No, we, 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 we really... Some would say it was crazy. I would say it was great foresight. Um, I can't remember what year it was. We set out a 10-year plan. Yeah, it was for a couple of years after we got started, a 10-year plan. And it was the 10th year we were getting in the league. And we, we did it in eight. So so I'd call that really good planning. <laughs> uh, other people thought it was insane and uh, you know, we'd never do it. We'd never be able to do it because we'd never be able to go full-time. But Terry Brown was really just uh, the most amazing manager for us. And you know, he took us up into the league and... Uh, I will be forever grateful for that day he gave us at the uh, City of Manchester Stadium. Um, it came at great personal cost for you in particular, didn't it, all of this? I, I think that, that, that it came. it's come at great personal cost for, for lots of people one way and another because many times with this football club I've let my passion override common sense and, and that's my own fault. I take full responsibility for it. Um, and, yeah, you know, I've shot myself in the foot many times preferring to do the right thing for the club than the right thing for me. Um, but I'm not the only one. There are lots of people that have done that um, and there are lots of stories that we'll never know uh, yeah, where people really could have been doing a lot more for themselves but prefer to do their 30 hours a week voluntary work for the club. Um, <laughs> and that is literally true. You know, I mean, our, our, our CEO, Eric Samuelson, took early retirement from PwC um, and uh, works for a guinea a year. Um, and I think that, that although you know he's far too modest to admit it, if you looked at the personal sacrifices that he's made, um, many, many people would be amazed at what he's done. You know, our, our early managers were all working like, like absolute dogs for very little money. Um, and football has a, a... There's no glamour involved, let's put it that way. Um, let's move it up to today. You're in, you're in the third division now. Yes, the third division. I love that. <laughs> I'll only confuse myself if I start, start using the new names. Yep. Uh, Neil Ardley has been in charge for five years. Um, that's, yep. that's a very long time for, for the Football League. It is. Um, what, what's the, the thinking there? You've obviously not panicked at any point. And you've had some squeaky seasons. Yeah, well, I mean, his first season when he came in, um, we were in a dire strait. It, we were, it was terrible. I remember on New Year's Eve, we were playing Torquay the next day and um, and and I, I saw Neil and the, the, the team for a drink. And uh, Well, not the team weren't drinking. Neil, Neil and I, we had a quiet moment and he turned around to me and I'd known Neil a long time. And, and he said to me, he said, you do realise that from now to the end of the season, to survive... We have to show um, playoff form at least. We need 1.5 points a game. And I'm like, really? He said, yeah. He said, at the moment we're rock bottom. And I'm like, I know that, but surely if we just play reasonably well, we'll get out of it. And he said, no, 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 not, not reasonably well. We need to do very, very well. 
And I could see there that, one, he was really focused on it, which was really brilliant. But two, I thought, well, OK, yeah, I, I see what you're saying here, but we're going to be OK. I know we're going to be OK. The next day we beat Torquay. Yeah, with a last minute winner, I celebrated like, wow, because I had those words ringing in my ear. And I'm like, OK, that's one and a half points we don't need to find now. <laughs> we can almost afford a loss again now. Yeah. And, and then we went on this great little run early January and it was wonderful. Yeah, we went up to Port Vale and we, we won at Port Vale, I think it was, in Gillingham. And uh, all sorts of great things started to happen. And, it, uh, and then you kind of got complacent thinking, oh, well, that's it. Yeah, we've done this. And then we hadn't. And it came down to that momentous last game against Fleetwood where, um, yeah, with 17 minutes to go, we were relegated. Yeah, literally, a, 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 a draw was no good. We'd gone uh, one up. They made it one all, and, and it was just like, oh, no. And then we got the penalty. Jack Midson scored 17 minutes from time, and that ensued a party, let me tell you. That was <laughs> that was, that was was ludicrous. Um, yeah, that was when you're really glad you bought the ground because we, we sold some alcohol that night, I can tell you. It was, it was bizarre. It was really bizarre. It was a fantastic experience. So, yes, we've had our bumpy moments, um, and, and Neil has always had a plan and has got a plan um he executes that plan and he builds teams um and i think that every football club needs that opportunity to to build a team you know i mean you're a south end fan phil brown builds teams brilliantly yeah and he gets results but you you need some patience to build a team and and i think that i can see that um i hope that that um our fans can see that and we're trying to build a club and have some solidity to it. Do you think because of the circumstances of <clears throat> of your rise, fans are more patient, that they're, they're more a part of it? I did. I'm not so sure now. Yeah, well, indeed, there have been, been uh, you know, there, there, there's, there's a few. There, you know, uh, I would call it a vocal minority at the moment, but there are some some sensible people that are um, starting to ask some questions and, and so on. And you can see how things can spiral and, and change. And uh, and I think you have to be aware of those things. Anyone that, that's involved in running a football club has to be aware of the circumstances around them and try and make the best of the circumstances that you've got. You know, we are a small club, a, a small fish in a very big pond. Uh, and we are... Um, We've been punching above our weight, but that's something that Wimbledon does. So we we, we will always look to do that. We are, we're never going to look to be the, the we're not going to be Man United or Chelsea or anything like that ever. That will never be for us. So we always have to punch above our weight to succeed. And whether you like it or not, football clubs are about succeeding. Yeah, if they don't, if you're not succeeding, you're going to go backwards. So we hope to keep succeeding. Matt, I know you're probably really happy with your owners at Blackburn, um, but what were the situation to change your it sounds fun, that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does sound a lot of fun, doesn't it? <laughs> brilliant. And yeah, there, was, there was talk at Blackburn after Benkis came in of uh, of a splinter club starting out there and it never really got all the momentum that, that it needed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, for fans to be in from the very beginning and to be building a club up from, from nothing, essentially, playing on park pitches and having trials with guys that can <laughs> spare a few hours on a Sunday afternoon to, to reach in... Uh, the third division it's just yeah an amazing story right um, I'm so sorry that we have to move on I mean, no disrespect to Fulham and Mansfield two teams we're really happy to feature in that but I could have stayed on that all day it only remains for me to say if you want to go and see AFC Wimbledon um, tickets are £20 
£16, uh, £17 on, on, on the, the Rygast Terrace, which is, uh, 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 it's a really rubbish view, to be honest. <laughs> but, but it has some kind of atmosphere in there. I can tell you it's different. It's very different. Is it still uh, a fiver for under-18s? Uh, yes, at the most, yeah. That, that is cheaper than I used to pay at South End in 1991. £7, no concession. Yeah, and the fish and chips was better down there, I can oh, tell you. I tell you. <laughs> uh, you can drive to Wimbledon, but get there sharpish. Uh, 350 parking spaces, but the first come, first served. Nearest train station is Norberton. That's about a 15-minute walk from the stadium. Though you can get the 131 bus from Wimbledon train station. Um, after the break, we'll move on to the championship. Listeners, you like stats, and so do I. So have a bang on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Well, who had this in their pre-season predictions? Sheffield United went to Leeds and won, and they're the new leaders of the championship. I would say, on balance, Chris Wilder's done quite well since taking over at Bramall Lane. On the other side of the city, there's a very different mood. Wednesday's 1-1 draw with Barnsley leaves the Owls down in 16th. So what happened to Wolves then? Well, they lost to QPR, with big Matt Smith getting the decisive goal at Loftus Road. Curse of the Totally Football League show. Mick McCarthy said his decision to bring on match winner Burson Salina in Ipswich's 2-1 win at Burton had nothing to do with fans chanting for his introduction. In fact, there's more chance of him not going on when they start telling me what to do. And yes, I am belligerent, he said afterwards. <laughs> Jordan Archer helped Millwall snatch a point at high-flying Cardiff with a string of impressive saves in a 0-0 draw. And Tom Kearney headed in a last-minute leveller for Fulham to rescue a 1-1 draw at home to bottom club Bolton. It was grim viewing in the second city as Birmingham drew 0-0 with Aston Villa on Sunday. Steve Bruce wasn't happy, not with the result and not with the clappers that he claimed were used as weapons against his players. Well, Reading can only dream of that sort of firepower. They've only scored 11 all season and they failed to ripple the net again on Saturday, losing 2-0 at home to Middlesbrough. Time is surely running out for Yapstam now. And what can you say about Sunderland after their 2-1 home defeat to Bristol City? Sometimes there just aren't words. Sometimes all you can do is open your arms and let them cry it out on your shoulder. Hands up from me, in last week's Fan League picks, I said Hull could beat Nottingham Forest comfortably in Saturday's tea time kickoff, but Kieran Dowell laughed in the face of that prediction. The Everton Loney bagged a hat-trick for the visitors in a hard-fought 3-2 victory. Derby's impressive form continued as they leapfrogged Norwich with a 2-1 win at Carrow Road. David Nugent's fine finish put the Rams on the way to a third successive victory, but the Canaries were denied a strong claim for a penalty when Scott Carson brought down Josh Murphy. And Brentford's Ollie Watkins remains one to watch in the Championship. He scored his sixth goal of the season to win a Beza 3-2 win at Preston. And so to that little house of cowards, Craven Cottage. Uh, Ivor, do you have much of a relationship with Fulham? You've never no. been in the same league yet. <laughs> in a word. <laughs> not, not fans? Um, you know, I, I mean, Fulham are very close to us. And um, whilst there are some tenuous links, um, they're not our... our Best of chums okay. in, in the nicest possible way. <laughs> nothing really against them, but nothing really for them. Fair enough. Well, they are they are one of the division's more attractive teams. Um, one of the nation's more unhateable clubs. I've always thought. I don't can't think of any other team that's got a neutral stand. Um, uh, they're dripping with talent. They pass the ball quickly and smartly. They play with pace and endeavour. Um, but they're thirteenth. Matt, you were there. Why couldn't they beat Bolton? Bolton are bottom. 
Yeah, I don't know about the pace and endeavour. I think that's what was lacking really against oh, Bolton. Really? Yeah, I mean, like you say, Fulham are the past masters of the championship. They, they make more passes per game than, than anyone else and they absolutely dominated the ball against Bolton. 77, 77% possession against the Bolton side that were happy to sit back and just look to try and hit them on the counter-attack. But it was a really sloppy goal to concede. Uh, Sami Amiobi collecting a long ball from the goalkeeper and slotting it in the corner with the Fulham defenders all over the place. And then they struggled really to find that equaliser. Um, yeah, Kevin McDonald, um, who's a very, very decent midfielder, he said of that goal, their goal was pathetic. It was embarrassing to let one in like that. You can't do it. We're trying to get promoted and we're letting in goals like that. It's not acceptable. Yeah, I think that's fair enough, to be honest. Yeah, there was a bit of confusion because Gary Medine was down with an injury and I think maybe the Fulham defence thought he was going to be kicked out of play, but Ben Anik played on and, uh, yeah, Sammy Amiobi scored. I didn't know Gary Medine went down with injuries. I figured they just put scaffolding up around him and hit him with a hammer for a bit. Well, he went down with quite a few injuries on Saturday. That was part of the problem for Fulham. Bolton were just so keen to waste time. I think it was the 15th minute Ben Anik started taking time over his goal kicks and eventually the whole crowd were chanting the seconds as, as they ticked away with him uh, you know, tapping his boots on the post and <laughs> preparing his run up and he did get a booking towards the end of the match but there's a lot of frustration in the Fulham team towards the referee for not really policing that earlier on. Um, Slavisa Jakanovic uh, wasn't very happy. He can't be satisfied. He said, this is reality, though. We have to look forward and find solutions. At the moment, we're not doing enough. Um, and they really haven't. It's not the first time I've watched them play. There's there's so much talent there. But Tom Kearney's back now. Um, he's missed a lot of the season with that knee problem, having, I think, played almost every game last season. Um, can you see him making a big difference? Because he was pretty much instrumental in everything they did, including the 94th-minute equaliser. Absolutely. He was brilliant at Blackburn when we had him for a couple of seasons, and uh, he's gone on to even better things at Fulham. He controlled the game, really, on Saturday. He's uh, incredibly good vision. You know, He's playing passes inside the Bolton fullbacks, and that was really the only thing that was opening Bolton, Bolton up. But uh, I think, yeah, they were a little bit one-paced at times and Kenny's sometimes responsible for trying to overplay a bit too much and hold on to the ball and pirouette in the centre of the pitch. I think Ryan Sessegnon, though, he was absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's a kid with a bright future ahead of him and he, he was just running down that left-hand side the whole time and looking to create, create chances. Uh, they've got an interesting recruitment policy um, because there, there have been clashes between Yukanovic and Tony Khan, the son of the owner, uh, who is a big fan of Moneyball, and he's come in with Craig Klein um, to lead the stats division and have these two boxes that need to be ticked before anyone gets bought. Um, is that the, the side of analytics? Does that come into play much at Wimbledon? I think analytics come into everything in football, but but that Moneyball system is not something that a club like ours can afford. <laughs> so we don't. And you know, uh, and, and the one thing that, that, that Fulham did really well from our academy is when they, they took Patrick Roberts. Patrick Roberts was a Wimbledon player. Oh, yeah, yeah, but it was before we could have any protection, so... Uh, um, he went to Fulham for nothing and then on to Man City for somewhere around 15 million, I believe. And you uh, never got a penny of that? Not one single shilling. Um, God, that's irritating. Yeah, it's very irritating. But uh, yeah, no, we, we, we can't do that money ball thing. Is there, is there any kind of uh, analytics that comes into it? Is it mostly kind of going over tapes and yeah, making your own I think notes? It's, you know, it's much more going over tapes. And you know, at, at our level, 
we have to take a little bit of a chance on players. You know, you you you'll find a a really talented player that perhaps if he kept himself a bit fitter might be playing in the championship or even higher um or a player with a, a bit of an injury past you know the only way we can afford is to 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 take these players and mold them or bring them through ourselves you know we're bringing through some great players at the moment you know we've sold some good players to premier league clubs but the e triple p system to me makes it very easy for uh, uh, bigger clubs to poach your players yeah because the compensation's not exactly generous is it? uh, no it's rubbish no <laughs> <sighs> don't get me started on that um Talking of taking chances, though, Matt, um, they uh, they have taken a few chances with with uh, foreign players that they found through the scouting system. Has anyone there caught your eye? Yeah, I think Kamara played fairly well on Saturday. Uh, he he started up front. It was uh, sort of a four three three kind of system. Dropped back into four two three one with Kamara at a focal point. He hit the apex after being playing through by uh, Kearney, and yeah, he, he was lively. He's got a lot of pace, and uh, he made some good runs. And they they have they have some good players to form, but yeah, it's an interesting situation there. It does feel like something that could kick off again with uh, Jukanovic and the stats department because Jukanovic keeps repeating that line about Craig Klein how he isn't held to account and he just sits up in a director's box. And I think for the manager, you understand that position really because he has to explain all of his tactics and why they didn't win the game and why this player's playing this position to the journalist afterwards. And the guy who is bringing in the players is uh, completely out of sight. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a happy marriage. Though it should be said that Yukanovic signed a new two-year deal in February, so it's not obviously not a, a critical mass yet. Um, there is another Sessegnon brother, isn't there? There is, yeah, and he was part of uh, England's under-17 World Cup yeah. squad. There you go, so there's, there's some hopes for Fulham. Um, tonight, uh, as part of our podcast, which rapidly goes redundant, um, Fulham play Bristol City, who have had some corking results of late. I think Fulham probably have a better chance of winning this game, really, because yeah. Bristol City will go to play and they'll go to try and uh, attack them. They've been in great form, as you say, going forward, and I think that could give Fulham more space, really, in the final third to try and exploit. I mean, Fulham had more passes in the final third against Bolton than Bolton managed all game. So, really, that shows the, the nature of that match, and I think it'll be a much more open game for Fulham to, to try and take the advantage. Just looking at Bolton, we, uh, we, we did look at them a few weeks ago. Um, we watched their... Heavy defeat at Brentford, three goal of the month contenders. Um, can you see them getting out of it? Because they seem to be getting some points on the board now. Mm, I still think it's going to be really difficult. They've started very, very slowly and uh, they've got players coming back into the side now. Josh Vella played fairly well at the weekend. after he's, he's been back in the side for a couple of weeks now after returning from injury. And I just don't see them being able to, to do enough, score enough goals to be able to get the, the wins that they need really more than these points here and there. Okay, that is Fulham. Um, you didn't go in the press box, did you? You just went as uh, as a fan, as a, as a neutral fan. I did. Yeah. Um, how, how easy was that to, to sort? It was very easy, but uh, probably best not to drive as there isn't a great deal of parking around the ground. You can take the tube to Putney Bridge, though, and it's a 15-minute walk from there to Craven Cottage, along the Thames and through Bishop's Park, which is a lovely little walk. Or you can take the train to Putney and walk down the High Street, and that takes about 20 minutes. It's uh, twenty to forty pounds for adults. Ticket price, so quite a big range there. And for under 18s it's ten to twenty five pounds. And expectations are pretty high among the Fulham fans this season. So just be prepared for a little bit of moaning at times. Oh, were they moaning? Yeah, they weren't so happy with uh, around me anyway with the way that the team couldn't break Bolton down. And I think you know after making the playoffs last season, they really expect to be yeah. back up there. Ah, you can understand that, can't you? Right. When we come back after the break, we'll be playing fan league.
Ivor, we're going to play fan league now. You can't play. Oh, That's not because okay. we don't like you. We oh, do like thanks. you. <laughs> <clears throat> but as as your you know position in football is, yep. is quite important and integral, I'm afraid you you can't you we're can't get involved in this. You know that. Yes. <laughs> Well, for anyone who isn't a director of AFC Wimbledon, Fan League is available on the App Store. It's very simple. You get a slip with 13 fixtures and you pick home win, away win or draw. The more you get right, the more chance of winning money. You've got to get 10 right, of which I haven't managed yet this season. And then the prizes vary according to how many people are playing. So check it out. Have a look. Most of the games, in fact, um, all but four of the games this week are Premier League. You don't need any help on that. Everyone talks about that all the time. But there are four championship games. Matt, first up, Nottingham Forest against QPR. It's a really tricky one, this. Yeah, incredibly difficult. I mean, I can't really go against Forest after last week when I said <laughs> that they would lose at Hull and uh, they did so well in that victory there. So I think QPR, though, as well. I mean, they played well against Wolves. I watched that game and um, I think, you know, they, they, we said last week that they, they could put, put together a bit of form. Uh, you know the way they've been playing, they just haven't really been finishing chances. So probably a draw. I'll sit on the fence for this one. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. Um, we were all saying QPR weren't that bad. They were just, you know, one goal, one lucky goal, one one little break away from getting a result. I didn't see him getting it against Wolves though. So well, well done with that. So yeah, I think the safest thing to do here is say draw. I'm not going to say that for Aston Villa Sheffield Wednesday though. No, me neither. I think uh, Villa will probably win this one. They're probably a bit disappointed with that nil-nil draw against Birmingham, considering they've been in fairly decent form over the last few weeks. And Sheffield Wednesday still seem to be sort of stumbling along a little bit. Drew one-one with Barnes at the weekend, and uh, you know there's a lot of pressure on Carlos Carvajal there at the moment. Yeah, it's really not happening. I think they're miles off the playoffs at the moment. I think he might be in trouble soon. Uh, so I'm going home win there. Uh, next up, Brentford. Now, there's a team who like their analytics and their set-piece practice. Um, A plucky lot, punching above their weight for ages. Um, And they've got Leeds, who... (sighs) Just want to give them a hug as well. Five defeats in seven now, is it? Yeah, and they're they're not playing brilliantly, are they? They they were pretty lucky to get back into the game, I thought, against Sheffield United on, on Friday night. And... Uh, and then obviously Sheffield United got the winner at the end, David Brooks scoring his first professional goal. But I think this is, this is a game actually that I'm planning to go to, so I'm really looking forward to it because it's you know two fairly decent attacking teams and I love watching Brentford. I think they're a very entertaining side and their position in the league table sort of belies the quality that's in that squad. So I actually think Brentford will probably win this one, make it a sixth defeat for Leeds. Yeah, I'm happy to get on board with that. Uh, if you'll permit me to be a massive nerd, I love their short corner routine. Yes, there, I've said it, I've said it. Uh, finally, uh, potentially one of Ivor's uh, opponents next season because it's Middlesbrough against Sunderland. Sunderland. That'll be a nice away trip for you, Ivor. Love it, can't wait to go there. <laughs> um, Middlesbrough, the, the owner, Steve Gibson, said he was going to uh, smash the championship. Um, it hasn't really happened. No, although they did win against Reading in, in a game that was probably going to decide how those two teams' respective seasons were going to go, really, because both have been uh, ambling along so far. And, um, yeah, obviously Middlesbrough got that win. And I think probably they're going to win again here. I mean, Sunderland, it's just abject, isn't it? It's horrible. I keep trying to watch their games in full, but it's all just wind and empty seats and sadness. But they haven't won at home in 2017, have they, really? So, if anything, they'll be quite relieved to be going away at the weekend. 
Um, Sunderland, if they don't beat Bolton tonight, they will equal the record for the longest run of home games without victory. Um, and then one more, and yeah, that's their record to keep. And you can't see it turning around at the moment. I'm quite worried for Simon Grayson there. Yeah, I don't know whether it's a bit too early probably to start putting pressure on Grayson because he's done a great job at the clubs he's been at before and he just needs a bit of time, doesn't he, really, to try and stabilise things there. But he'll probably be looking at Preston thinking, why or why did I leave? (laughs) What was I thinking? (laughs) Right, that's the Fan League. Uh, You know where to find it. It's on the App Store. And if you want to play along with us, just search for me, Ian McIntosh, two eyes and Ian, and uh, I'll invite you to the Totally Football League League. Um, Coming up after the break, it's League Two. Gentlemen, are you feeling a bit crap? Well, you're not alone. Everyone does at some point. But the thing people don't realise is just how common it is in chaps like you and me. Last year, 76% of all the suicides in Britain were male. That's 4,287 men, a figure not much smaller than the average League 2 attendance last season. On average, 12 men take their own life every single day, meaning that the leading cause of death for men under 45 in the UK is suicide. Scary, huh? But that's part of the problem. There's still a strong social stigma around depression and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and seeking help when they need it. That's why we at the Totally Football Shows are working with Calm. They're the Campaign Against Living Miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide in the UK. Every day from 5pm till midnight, they provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website and a free magazine packed with the kind of information you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough time, as well as some cracking stuff on comedy, bands, film and of course football too. So if you are feeling crap, find Calm at thecalmzone.net for support and some straight-up manspiration. It's time for League Two. Well, what was that we were saying about Luton Town? Firing away the best team in this division. Not on Saturday, they weren't. Coventry blew them away at Kenilworth Road, three goals to nil. And that means Notts County are top, thanks to a 3-0 win over Newport. Two goals there by George Grant on loan from Forest and performing very well for Kevin Nolan's team. Thank you very much. And we'll hear more about the game in a moment, but it is four matches without a win for Exeter now because they could only draw with Mansfield 1-1. Accrington are just a point behind leaders Notts County thanks to a 4-1 win over Barnet, while the Bees teeter precariously above the bottom two following a run of 10 games without a win. And Chesterfield remain rooted to the foot of the table after squandering a half-time lead against Carlisle to draw 2-2. Colchester went behind at home to struggling crew, but mounted an impressive fight back to win 3-1. Port Vale's renaissance came to an abrupt end on Saturday. They were gubbed 3-0 at home by Swindon. And there were two goals for waif-like Wickham hitman Adiak Infemwa, but it wasn't enough as Cheltenham came back for a 3 all draw. And it was another bad day for Stevenage's goal difference as Yeovil put three past them before half-time. They've shipped 27 goals already this season, and it's only Halloween. Forest Green are finding their feet in the Football League, picking up a third straight win with a 2-0 victory over Morecambe. But it was a case of goal-phobia again in Lincolnshire, with the Imstrong 0-0 at home to Crawley and Grimsby playing out a stalemate with Cambridge. That's now seven 0-0 draws Lincoln and Grimsby have been involved in this season, including the snooze-fest when they faced each other in September. Adiak and Fenway, you signed him, didn't you? Yeah, we did. What a character. <laughs> Absolute brilliant, brilliant guy, um, Bayo and... Uh, 
great fun to to have at, at AFC Wimbledon, and we yeah we've got a close relations with uh, a relationship even with um, uh, Wickham, uh, yeah, with their their manager being our our ex boy and everything. Yeah, fantastic, great stuff. Love to see him doing well. What what were your first impressions when you saw him? Well, the first time I met him was actually when we signed him. I actually did did the signing of him, and his arm was on the the, the table, and I I thought it was a baby alligator, not an arm. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> He's a big boy. <laughs> He's lovely, though, isn't he? Yeah, very, very, very good lad. Should we get on with Mansfield? Because we are running out of time a little bit. Um, this is my favourite bit of the show, Ivor. Okay. This, this is where my nerdiness is, is given room to run free. You're going to beat me, are you? Go on. Mansfield were formed in 1897, and they were originally known as the Mansfield Wesleyans. Do you know why? No, Ian, why? Because there was a Wesleyan church just down the road. Uh, John Wesley, a little form of Protestantisms. Anyway, uh, when they turned professional in 1906, the church was livid, refused to have anything to do with them. And so it was Mansfield Wesley from there forth, which seems a bit of a cop-out. I think they could have made more of a change there. Uh, but religion would have a part to play again in 1909 when the chairman and the club secretary were both banned from football for life. Can you imagine what they did to get that? They signed a player on the Sabbath. These were very different times. In 1910, they became Mansfield Town, which caused great offence to the superpower in the region, Mansfield Mechanics. They were considered the better team. Uh, But not for long, because at the sixth time of asking, Mansfield were elected to the Football League in 1931. They didn't do much of note when they got there. Second place in the third division north in 1951 was as good as it got until they won division four in 1975 and division three in 1977. The 77-78 campaign remains their only stint in the second flight. They were back in division four by 1980 and though they won the Freight Rover Trophy in 1987, they skittered between the bottom two divisions right up until 2008 when they plunged into the conference. But they're back. This is their fifth season back but they don't seem ready to go much higher yet. Um, Mansfield Town, of course, managed by Steve Evans. Ivor, have you you met Steve? Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. We've come across Steve on more than one occasion. Always a very interesting experience <laughs> and uh, um, makes uh, amazing viewing from the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> You're very different off there. <laughs> yeah. Matt, Steve Evans, he comes with a bit of baggage, doesn't he? Yeah, a little bit. I'd love to see what those uh, Wesleyan church congregation would make of Steve Evans. (laughs) So would I. Uh, But undeniably, he's a very, very good manager. Um, He's got a cracking track record. And uh, Mansfield have backed him, haven't they? They bought 13 players in the summer. Yeah, they did, yeah. And uh, they spent quite a bit of money. And they were actually among the favourites, really, to go up this season. But now they're sitting down in 13th place, I think it is. They, uh, you know, there's perhaps a bit of pressure on him to to try and improve the form because it's five games without a win for them and as you said four games without a victory for Exeter but they're still in the top seven whereas Mansfield are looking up there and thinking how do we get there Yes uh, as you say they had Exeter on Saturday and I I thought they played really well Steve Evans definitely thought they played really well Um, they were very fast getting the ball down the flanks but a lot of the first half seemed like crossing practice uh, they just kept tossing it in there. Yeah, I think, Ian, I think the game plan was to play it down the right, wasn't it? With P- <laughs> yeah, Paul Anderson. It 
who a uh, very experienced player, used to play for Nottingham Forest, started out at Liverpool. He was playing at right back and he did very well. And he was playing with Alex McDonald on the wing and those two just kept doubling up down the flank. And they actually made 23 co- crosses on Saturday, the joint most in the division with Lincoln, Accrington and Chesterfield. And I think probably about 90% of those crosses came in the first half down that right side. <laughs> can, can I just say that Mansfield have wonderfully passionate fans? But when they get on your back, when they get on the manager's back, they really get on the back of a, of a manager. It's a passionate place for football, I promise you. Well, um, this is something Steve Evans would certainly agree with uh, because they got beaten by Colchester 2-0 recently. And Evans said, I watched my players go to the supporters to uh, you know, clap them at the end of the game and get told they're a load of rubbish. I've never <laughs> experienced that. <laughs> I have worries when you see that reaction at full time. Whether people are in it for a promotion challenge or whether they're in it for glory days, there's a big, big difference. I think Steve Evans is on dangerous ground accusing Mansfield Town fans of being in it for glory. Oh, I think that that, that, that will come back to, to bite him on his rather large... <laughs> <laughs> you um, know. But there is something there, isn't there? there there's quality in, the, in that team, Matt. I, I think so, yeah. In, in, in the final third anyway, because they've got Danny Rose who scored... I think seven goals this season so far, and Kane Hemmings scored the the goal on Saturday. I think they looked a little bit disjointed, to be honest. And Jacob Mellis played fairly well in midfield, but looking at the two sides, it's Exeter are clearly the better footballing team, and the way they addressed that problem down the flanks in the second half as well. Paul Tisdale clearly, um, you know, told his players to watch the space that they were given to uh, Mansfield's wingers, and I think. Really, it's it's you look at Mansfield now and the start that they've made and the number of players they're trying to assimilate into that team and it's it's probably going to be difficult for them to get back on track. Really, either League Two is a weird division, isn't it? Because you is. tend to have sort of three or four teams who are much better than everyone else, and then it's pretty random. Yeah, I mean, yeah, really and truthfully, there there, there are there's some wonderful characters in League Two, as there are in all divisions. To be to be fair, but in 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 League Two, you've got you've got clubs like Morecambe. It's the most hospitable place you, you, you will ever go. They've got a fantastic manager who's been there for years through the, the, the good times and the bad and and, and they, they keep doing well. And, and you know, you could never be surprised when you go to Morecambe and get beat. Their league position will say you should go and beat them. But, but there, so there are some really good professional units in there. But you wonder how they do what they do. <laughs> Accrington, you know, every time I go to Accrington, I scratch my head and think, we went to you know, not many, but there were a few better grounds than that in the Ryman League, you know. And you go there and you think this is this is going to be something else. And and then they they play the most beautiful football, and you come away losing. <laughs> it's just like hell. <laughs> what happened when the lights went out that time? Ah, that was there. That was that was unbelievable. That was in the 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 playoff, and we we just kind of equalised with them, which meant we were going to Wembley. And uh, and all of a sudden there was smoke coming out of one light. Jesus. And it went off, and and then another set went off. But I think that they were switched off as a precaution, um, and uh, and then the football league officials went. This game is finishing tonight. There is only a few minutes left, <laughs> uh, and and miraculously the, the the second set of lights came back on, and eventually the others did as well. But for a while, that was one of the scariest moments that I've had in football, because it was just like we. Right now we're going to Wembley. If this game doesn't finish now, then it'll have to be replayed, and and we go into it. It'd be precarious, and and thankfully it got done. But it was uh, wow, what an experience! <laughs> well, just to stress, that wasn't at Mansfield. No, that was no, at that was at Accrington. Over at Mansfield, not only are they very very eager to get out of League Two, um, they're they're doing a lot of work behind the scenes, aren't they, Matt? They're um, as a I think a five year plan to get an EPPPP Academy Three level uh, reached. Uh, the training centres being worked on uh, under the uh, under the guidance 
president of uh, Carolyn Radford, the CEO. Yeah, the youngest CEO in the Football League and one of only two women in such a position, the other being Catrian Mayor at Charlton. Yeah, they certainly seem to be laying the foundations to, to climb up through the leagues off the pitch. And I think they said uh, actually last year that the target is to get into the championship and that's a good level for Mansfield to be at. So they uh, they broke even last year. They're aiming to make a profit this year. I'm not sure whether they'll actually be able to do that considering how many players they signed in the summer. Clearly, promotion is the aim this season, so that does put a lot of pressure on. I think they might make a profit this season because we've seen the entertainment lineup at the One Cool Stadium. What they got? That's right, Ian. It's all sold out as well. Festive showtime, Christmas celebrations, 2017. Do you want to see Jersey Boys and a Take That tribute? Yes. You can't. It's sold out. Oh God damn it! Do you want to see an Abba tribute? Yes. You can't because it's sold out as oh, well. Come on. What about 80s disco party night? Nah. Sold out. But I tell you what, Gary Barlow tribute, Thursday, December the 14th. Only £28 per person and there. Still seats available. Really? That's where I think we should spend our uh, Christmas due for the podcast. <laughs> I tell you what, we, we laugh about it, but that is just a sensible use of resources. So they're clearly getting something right um, behind the scenes um, because that's probably part of the reason they managed to buy 13 new players. I'm also told by producer Ben that Mansfield Town Centre is, or certainly was at one point, rated in the top 100 shopping destinations in the UK. So That is amazing. <laughs> there you go. Um, if you want to go to Mansfield, and you know if they do kick into form and charge up the table, as, as they should do, might be a good time to start going to watch them. Uh, tickets range from 20 to £24 on the day for adults, depending on where you sit. Uh, if you're bringing the family, under sixes, get them free. Um, if you want to get to the one cool, st- one cool stadium. There's a small car park. It costs just £5 a car, but it's first come, first served. So you're probably better off getting the train to Mansfield Rail Station and you see the ground as soon as you get off the train. Walk past Burger King, pop in if you fancy. I don't think we should say that. They're not paying us any money. Um, go through the retail park and boom, you'll be staring at the north stand, the away end. That is Mansfield, unless anyone's got anything else they wish to focus on. They're yellow and blue, same as us, and they, they, whenever they come to us, we have a right old social ding-dong. It looks like a weird sort of cocktail-like kit, though, this season, doesn't it? The way it fades from the yellow into the blue. Not a fan. I've not seen too much of it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> right. We have just about got time for any questions. I didn't scribble down who wrote it. Can Notts County stay top of the table? Matt, have you seen them yet? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Good win at the weekend. Uh, so, yeah, I think Kevin Nolan's doing a brilliant job there. He's already sort of trotting out the lines about the British managers. Hard done by, though, so we'll see where that one goes. Either of you come across Kevin Nolan at any point? No, not really, but 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 I, I respect what he's done taking the job at, at, at Notts County and I, I hope he succeeds because I actually agree with him. I think it's absolutely diabolical the way this country, um, the, you know, we are treating our, our homegrown managers. They're not getting a chance. You know. The fact that I heard uh, somebody on the television turn around and say this morning that the biggest job that Sean Dyche can ever reckon to get would be the Everton job is just ridiculous. Sean Dyche is a great, talented manager and and, and he deserves that chance. Uh, um, and more English managers, British managers should be getting those chances. It's really annoying me. So, so when we get a uh, high-level foreign player retiring and looking for his first job, we shouldn't expect him to pop up at AFC Wimbledon? Well, no, no, I mean, at the end of the day, if they wanted to start down the food chain and find their way up, then then, then that's great because that's what all the English managers are having to do. But they're having to work with with very small resources and doing fantastic jobs and then not, not getting a chance. You know, Paul Tisdale at Exeter, it is incredible. 
He's a miracle man, and, and he doesn't get the recognition he deserves. Oh, he does on this show. Oh, well, oh, oh, yes, well I'm giving does. it to him as well, yeah. <laughs> Respect. And not just sartorial either. We no, made no, a point no. of not mentioning that. Um, there is lots of Football League football on the telly coming up on Wednesday... Uh, which is tomorrow. You can watch Preston North End against Aston Villa on Sky. On Friday, you can watch Wolves against Fulham. On Saturday, Brentford against Leeds. And on Sunday, the doom-laden toned Middlesbrough against Sunderland. That is all we've got time for. Ivor, it has been wonderful having you in. Thank it's been you my so absolute much. pleasure. Thank you for having me. Matt, you've been here. It's been my pleasure too. <laughs> Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you for listening and see you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.